Today I'm talking to Dr. Matt Yoxall. Uh, Matt's a friend I've known for a couple of years, lives in Chiang Mai. Uh, we had him on the podcast just over a year ago, and we spoke then about the work he was doing on the border in Myanmar with a touring theatre project around safer migration practices. Uh, but on this podcast, we we get into more of his, his corporate work. Uh, he's a trainer and coach, and he travels around Asia-Pacific teaching corporate clients in the areas of things such as storytelling and how to use storytelling to enhance the work they do. Um, we get into that. Uh, mostly we talk about uh, how silence is is a powerful thing and can be used within within storytelling and within within that corporate work. Uh, so here's my podcast with Mr. Yoxall. So Mr. Yoxall, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. you. Are at, you're my first repeat chatter. Well, aren't I a lucky <laughs> like boy? <laughs> <laughs> well, having listened to the previous podcast... Uh, although it was a lot of fun, I, uh, one of my reflections on it was um, how fast I was talking and how frenetic some of that talking was, but also how, I guess, how motivated and inspired I was to touch some of the subjects that we got into. Cool. I probably should have gone back and listened to it on the drive down, but I didn't. Um... But I do remember most of it, and we. Uh, when was it? It was probably. It was January last year. It's a year, you're almost a, oh, exactly over a year, a year already. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize that. So time passes. Yeah. Well, I. You know, I remember we. We are in the same spot anyway. We're sitting here in uh, your house in Chiang Mai. Um, and we chatted about the work you were doing on the border. I think you just come back, right? Um, and without us going. Into that in detail, well, I will reference the other podcast on the intro so people can have a listen. But um, I know since then you've been doing kind of other work or not not stuff that's necessarily new, but, um, you know, you've been spending more time in the kind of corporate area, teaching, doing workshops, yeah. leadership level, that kind of stuff, yeah? Yeah, I think probably there's been a big shift uh, for me with my understanding of that world and how it functions and operates and this is important because this is why I went to work there it's why I agreed to work in that area you know yes if people go back and listen to the previous cast about my work with refugees my work on counter trafficking women's protection programs access to the law all these kinds of things as a storyteller then showing up in the corporate space and trying to help enable you know, very high level senior executives, sometimes people from C-suites, to how to show up uh, and tell a good story and motivate and inspire and drive a team along. You know, that seems like a rather odd transition. But, you know, we live in a polarised world. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of how the world is, is changing and how I look at the world and, and question what is it asking me to do what is it asking of me, you know, if I don't work in those spaces too, um, I don't, I don't think I can really fully understand where I am. And do you, so do you use those stories from the stuff you've done out with refugees in the field? Does that map in or is it, you know, is the content quite different? I mean, obviously you lean on the experiences, but do you directly lean on the stories or is it your training you do with corporate quite different? It maps in hugely. 
And I think there's a there's a really important myth to dispel that, you know, all people who work in corporate must be evil and that people who work for NGOs in the UN are good, kind and caring. Sometimes it's absolutely the reverse. Yeah. You know, I've met some really unhappy, you know, disappointed um, and problematic personalities and characters in the humanitarian world, being people who are drawn to problems, both to evade their own and, um, you know, trying to escape another life elsewhere, and showing up apparently in this, you know, this cloak of, of valour and, you know, goodness. Um, and I mean, and that's also not, a, that sounds very judgmental, but it's just that you know, people with problems also attract other people with problems. This is where like attracts like. It's normal. And anybody who works in social work or development understands that this is the reality and and that, you know, I've been drawn to that work for some of those reasons too. I'm certainly it's very interesting. Yeah, I can free of that. But I you know, one of the reasons that um you know the training company I work for currently, one of the training companies that I work for, um you know, they've been very keen for me to actually talk about my work in the refugee camps with people from, from Burma, from Myanmar. Um, and working with disenfranchised communities and, and people who don't have, you know, access to the resources to normally tell their stories in public, for example, or to a, a, a particular audience, for example. So, you know, there's the, the that... That company I work for, there are a lot of people are highly motivated towards giving. Mm. Um, and they're very generous, actually. And they, they teach generosity of communication through the work we do. And I've learned that better, I think, from them. Um, and, you know, leaders in all levels of life want to know how to do that, how to show up for their teams and how to be present. Um, and, you know, take care of their responsibilities. You know, that's not a strange thing. And so I found in, in corporate people very, very engaged with the the idea of what I do, why I do it. And actually that they do feel somehow isolated from that world. Mm. And they want to be involved in lots of things to effectively, and in inverted commas, make the world a better place. And partly because of their position in corporate, you know, it is so driven by economics and they understand that that but that that but that culture i think in in corporate is changing where people are definitely starting to think about purpose much more and that you know they know that giving an impact in and on the world is you know they're they're massively under the hammer right now they are having to sh to take much greater steps towards responsibility these are intelligent people who know if you know they work for a company that that works with fossil fuels, they're damaging the earth. Like yeah, and I think I mean, I, yeah, I mean, interestingly, this is part of why we're in business. I mean, you know, you're seeing like ten years ago, CSR was oh, CSR has been around for a lot longer than ten years. But even you know, ten years ago, that whole kind of need for business to do the right thing was was just kind of you know, often it was writing a check for. An NGO or showing up on a certain day and a charitable whereas, donation. Yeah, Matthew. exactly. <laughs> that, but now it. Yes. Now you can see like what you just said. Then I mean the, yeah, an oil company is you know vastly aware of 
the damage it is doing at the same time as you know making a profit but but also i i think there's now a consumer effect to this where actually people are willing to are not willing to work for certain companies and not willing to buy from certain companies unless they're behaving in a certain way which is interesting so the motivations in business to behave yeah. in a certain way are hugely shifting we, we have a lot of power to regulate because there's been this whole thing about the fact that there were no regulations over the financial services sector, you know, under the last major economic crash and the impacts that had on everyday people's lives, losing their, their homes and so forth. But yeah, there is a way that we can collectively regulate companies' uh, behaviours by whether we, yeah, invest, buy or, you know, or how we involve ourselves with, with what, they, what they do or what their products are. Um, so we know we can we can be effective, um, but I you know the other thing I would say about working in the corporate world is sometimes when we're working with stories and and storytelling and stories about what's important to people and what's important in their their lives and we share that you know they decide at the end of those sessions they need to leave their corporate job really. Interesting. Sometimes. And you get invited back to And it's not my colleagues too have told me, you know, similar <laughs> yeah. stories where, you know, and it's, you know, that's <laughs> that's not what we're there to do. But of course, you know, if you're a decent boss, a good leader, you don't want someone who's miserable in their job on your team because it's bad for them and it's bad for your team. You know, and if they make a, a positive and assertive decision to move on and do something else, something different, then, well, you know, you should help them, right? And I think that, you know, in many, many cases, you know, when I've met and worked with, with uh, senior business leaders, and I, I just want to add that I work, I work particularly on a, a large, a global women's leadership program. And I, I'm there as a man, number one, because I, I care about women and also because probably the majority of my most important teachers in my life have been women. In many, many ways, my bigger and definitely my biggest supporters and encouragers, um, you know, they I think they show the characteristics those in those leadership programs. And I, I'm often there to play the role of a man who shows up at work in certain forms or styles or with a certain set of personalities or characteristics. But, um, you know, I think, you know, I've seen there are lots of people there who I think are really excellent bosses mm. you know they're the kind of people the kind of person you want to work for or with and you know uh so the, the you know we're challenged i think um we've we've kind of inherited this setup right with globalization global capitalism and so on and so forth but you know we we know we that i sense very clearly we're shifting in to another space and i've just been in australia for the last few months on and off and I was in Canberra during the bushfire crisis and you know in the ring of fire surrounded with smoke mm. very directly experiencing hardcore climate change coming into the beginning of the new decade yeah and I just I, I do feel that you know the level of awareness now perhaps that we need to shift the systems around we can't abandon them revolution has proven not to work you you know you can't change things overnight, but we have got to quickly become very agile, to use a, a popular corporate word. We have to become very adaptable in how we, we switch things about. 
and we do it across different sectors of society. We have to do it really fast. Mm. Um, if you can't communicate well with one another, then that's going to be impossible. So I, you know, I see that the work I do now, you know, from from grassroots, NGO, community theatre based work. Yeah. You know, people on very very low economies, very very poor kind of access to public services and resources not necessarily unhappy people but you know people who are uh you know really living day to day and, and pretty much hand to mouth in this regard and then i'm up on the 25th floor of a giant s skyscraper yeah. you know in sydney harbour or or abu dhabi or, or dubai you know that there is a way that we need to bring those worlds into contact with one another and i think you know, this is where the, the storytelling and the communication skills are just, just essential to make that happen. So when you're teaching storytelling at the kind of CXO level, when you're, when you're in these workshops, that, so the, 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 the driver behind this is better communication with teams, better communication with yourself, better both, or, you know, what are, what are the, I mean, storytelling is, is being used everywhere now. Well, you it see is. It. Yeah, but what are the, you know, in your particular workshops, well, really, the CSO level, what are the kind of drivers around this? Performance, you know, wise, then it's, it's the nature, understanding the nature of human attention. Yeah. So then that means awareness of yourself, your own body, your own voice, and the impacts, the way you use your body and your voice have on other people, your behavior. Right, and your body and voice is the, the the vehicle, right, for the projection or performance of your behaviour in the world. Yeah. So this is the kind of starting point. And um, you get this technical in these workshops, do you? I mean, that's almost you're talking from oh, a theatre level, almost. But... Yes. Well, that's how I show up as, as a theatre person. Okay. You know, and so that's my perf my my background as a performer, physical theatre. How I use uh, my body and my voice. Um. And as a, and as a as a teacher, an educator, a facilitator, working in front of groups, how I've I've learned to use that over time. As a storyteller, it's then you know how we narrate an idea, how we use or share a particular experience to show that what we want or what we think or what we want to change is relatable, or important, or that it matters, or it has some kind of value. Um, this is also sort of crucial. So I, you know, I think why, while I'm not, a, I'm not a famous actor. Some of my colleagues, some people I work with are, are quite recognisable. If you watch like TV on a Saturday, Friday or Saturday night in the UK. Um, some of the, the guys teaching the workshops with you. Oh some, yeah. They're, okay. oh, some of them are quite distinguished actors as well. Yeah. They're regularly at the National Theatre in the UK or the Royal Shakespeare Company. And my friend who brought me into the company, she's, you know, uh, she's now quite recognisable having uh, been in a very large superhero franchise um, and then moving on to do a, a, a large kind of uh, American-based TV show, but with used a lot of, a lot of British actors. Um, so, but I think why, what I bring, going back to what you said about my other work, is I... You know, I've I've moved around and I've in integrated and as much, best I can, and I've interacted with a lot of different kinds of communities of people, 
in a lot of different cultures and a variety of different languages, some of which I've, I've learned bits of and some of which I just continue to be completely dependent on people translating for me. Yeah. You know, so I'm, you know, uh, you know, in those situations, I'm, I'm both a leader and I'm also like a child. I'm being led all the time myself. So, uh, you know, but I think that, that that background in performance, being a performer and actor um, to some degree, but then also being able to narrate and tell stories, um, bringing those two things together and perhaps the additional layer of intelligence that I did develop through doing a PhD. You know, I, 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 I did feel smarter. <laughs> I was pretty tired when I finished, but I felt smarter yeah. um, in many ways when I, was, when I was done with that process that, you know, I can start to see how kind of narrative and action, you know, how, you know, storytelling and communication, how we need to bring these things together and how... I can be someone who can help with that and I can assist with it. And I, I just think that if everybody in the world, were, everybody has those skills, they're latent in many ways. But if we were to become more sensitive to, to them, become more aware, then the way in which we interact and the way in which we make decisions together effectively as a, as a, as a, as a, a species, um, could improve um, and we could perhaps speed up that decision-making process and change to a degree where we can save what we've got left. I su I'm sorry, it's a little, sounds a little <laughs> on the heavy and prophetic side, no, but you know, the world is on fire. You know, we're having a massive public health. No, I think it's very out. Right now. I mean, I'm about to get on a flight with a mask on my face and yeah i think it's that's a, right next, we're, we're definitely at an interesting time in my the, corporate in workshop the, uh, in in singapore has been cancelled next week because of the coronavirus no yeah, gatherings right. of more than 10 people i mean this is reality my whole my whole career you know uh my my work you know my my whole uh, world of work is very directly affected and, and effectively being cancelled right now um, because of these reasons, be it because of too much panic or because being cautious is better, depending on, on perhaps what side of that narrative you fall. Yeah, right. I'm somewhere in between. I, I have friends who work for the World Health Organization who help me decide what to do. But um, Well, you're still traveling, so that makes me feel more comfortable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think... I think we're I more threatened by the smoke here, I think, probably, than the... Uh... Well, that's right, because we have got looking out of the window here at the in the house in Chiang Mai looking at the that, mountains. That actually doesn't look too bad today. No, we can see the hills, although they do look a little hazy. Um, so, you know, these are some of the things that we need to deal with. And um, But, you know, sometimes where when I feel very busy and bothered by these realities, um, actually, I, you know, I can stand in my drive or I can sit where we are now and I look out at the mountains and I can see the temple, the sort of the holiest place location in north thailand is right there outside my my window and um it reminds my it reminds me you know that i also need to calm down well it's probably that's good good segue temple calm down the, 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 <laughs> i mean the the thing i really wanted to chat about i think right at the end of the last podcast we started getting onto a subject that you are i know you're very passionate about i don't remember how much we covered it last time not much i think um 
but is this area of silence, which is obviously a very broad scope. Mm. But, um, you know, we were chatting the other day, you were talking about you just the profound effect of teaching people about silence and, and what can be learned in silence. And, um, you know, I know it's something you've, uh, you know, from a, on one side, from a Buddhist standpoint, in terms of writing around Buddhism and silence, yeah. and then also teaching now in workshops. So, yeah. It's a broad subject, but I'd like us to kind of dive into silence if there is such a thing. <laughs> um, but maybe the best starting point is just to just to give us a bit of background on, you know, part of your workshops. You you silence is I assume a, a subject matter that you teach within a storytelling communications workshop. Am I right in putting it that way, or correct me if if not? And let's talk about silence. <laughs> just letting that moment be there uh, for a moment. Yes, uh, it, it is something that I think you can teach in that you can raise people's awareness to attend to silence and the power of silence uh, with more care. Um, sometimes people do that already quite dutifully. It depends where they come from. Um, I think the first thing to say is, you know, silence and speech are interdependent. You know, you can't have one without the other. Um, and, you know, I just, I also just began uh, posting video, short videos. I was asked to do this uh, and I posted one on LinkedIn about the power of silence. And it shocked me that it immediately, very quickly had about 2000 views. So I think that, yes, it is, something I'm deeply interested in. It's something I struggle to maintain. My, I am chatty. <laughs> My mind is busy and chatty quite often. Um, but you know, I've lived in Thailand for more than 15 years and, you know, been part of a Buddhist family and, you know, engaged with Buddhism as well. So it's taught me, you know, the value of silence or the importance of silence in different situations that I don't think my life in the UK could ever have taught me mm. because the culture is so different. Um, so yes, it was a, it was a, I use silence as a method. And I mentioned this in the last podcast about looking at different kinds of silence that sh sort of show themselves or uh, arise in the same space and at the same time. And when you kind of identify them and you hang them together, those silences, they shape a very particular kind of narrative that you don't get if you're over-attending to voice or sound. Very interesting. It, I remember us, you just, you reminded me of a conversation we had, and I hope I'm not repeating, I didn't listen to the last podcast, which was a year ago, but you were giving me some advice on a situation, a personal situation. A relationship situation. Yeah, well, did we chat about it last time? I can't remember. You brought, you mentioned it, but we didn't it, refer to the it's example. Very, it's very interesting because it was, the advice was very simple. I mean, it was just shut up, really. But <laughs> as in, but to put I'm that into... I'm sure I said that But to put that into more... I care about you too much but, to say shut up. But it was up. more, you know, the... <laughs> but it is interesting, right? This, I mean, there, there's a difference between quiet and and silence because silence is active you know for example mm. i mean you know meditation mindfulness these these elements of 
you could think of these as silence, but they're not. I mean, these are active. Sorry, these are passive states. I would say, in a way, of engaging in quiet for the means of certain self-development or whatever it might be. Whereas silence within communication is a an active decision to let space be produced to change ultimately change the course of that communication mm. because the decision to speak ultimately eliminates the option for the other person to speak at that point in time right it's um so that there is difference I you know when you talk yeah. about silence and talk about quiet and well i think that the first thing i would say is that all silences do do something mm. they're all are active because they're also performative right they have a role and they have a function how much kind of agency those silences have in terms of tipping the balance in a social situation or a political situation for example one way or the other that's something you have to attend to quite carefully um and you know and obviously what kind of i don't like to categorize silences too much because i think we you know they impact and influence people who are attendant to them in all kinds of different ways um but uh and you know what and, and probably uh, just to correct myself that i'm probably really talking about active listening as opposed to silence right which is i mean by default you're not talking when you're actively listening so you're creating silence but it is a different notion in the, in the form of a communication right so yeah but and that, and that's okay because you know correcting ourselves is a really important capacity um to think through an idea and then go back and rethink that idea to reflect quietly which is what you just did in front of me just then <laughs> right that's actually an engagement with a very particular type of an important type of silence right um and it's also you know it's also an act of humility in and of itself so uh or certainly with somebody's a certain amount of self-confidence where they go okay yeah i can change my position on that um so those moments of reflection and i think that you know that's where i kind of got lost with sort of certain kinds of more ideological ways of of thinking and political thinking i mean buddhism doesn't say you think like this it says what do you think hmm. mm, are you thinking too much <laughs> Perhaps, you know, empty. can you empty yourself? If, is it even you thinking? <laughs> well, that's right. Do you control your mind? Yeah. Or does your mind control you? You know, and they are not the same thing. And as you start to study your mind, you start to understand, you start to understand that, um, you know, the idea of no me, no mine, no I, this kind of idea where you start to separate from a sense of identity which is also a sense of self and that you you know then through a, a, a period of quieter reflection or silence that you realize that you're connected to everything around you in a variety of different ways so it's a does it but it's just you know let's not kind of become too sort of monastic about it it's sure. like you know yes it's a, a philosophy but on another way it's just like it's changing the the dial and i don't think it's a volume like up is loud and 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 down is is silent. I think it's you've got to use the bass and the treble 
right? It's There's more than one thing happening. You have to tune in different parts of yourself at different times, I think, to start to, as I said earlier about becoming attendant to silence in different ways and, and how it can help you. I, I really struggle. And the thing is, I really struggle with it. I, I really find it hard to do it well and to do it for extended periods of time consistently and you mean in the dynamics of a conversation with other people there is that what I'm mean? aware of it in the dynamics of everyday conversation yeah. I use it in negotiation um I appreciate it as a a, a, a space spaces and as a moment of re- retreat but this kind of broader kind of um embodiment or kind of a, a sense of being comfortable with silence you know all of the time Mm. you know i you know that i'm working on you know i must be if i wasn't still working on it i would talk a lot less (laughs) um but you know but this is also why why it interests me but one i would say that yes okay maybe i talk a lot on the one hand because i like storytelling um i also engage in i do listen and i can listen very deeply to a the per- another person or a group of people in front of me. So how how is this incorporated into the workshops then? In terms of, or is it just a, it's just a theme within the workshop? Then you're not teaching silence as a kind of module. I just maybe you told me a story, uh, just about the kind of profound effect it had recently on some of the people within the workshop. How um, uh, last we, week actually, yeah. yeah, we I was working with a group of really. Um, really kind of critically engaged but um you know very kind of right brain thinkers from you know lawyers um who were kind of challenging every notion or idea that we were presenting them with rather than engaging with just getting up and trying something out and you know it was quite a battle there was a lot of to and fro it was a bit like being in a football match actually in a way <laughs> um and good theater actually is that but there was a real there was conflict you know because you know we were there was this kind of tug of war it wasn't acrimonious there wasn't animosity but there was uh you know there was this it's kind of some sort of battle around the nature of the engagement we were having um and there was a moment towards the end of the workshop where we decided to sort of stop and slow down on the work we were doing with negotiation. And this said silence, I, I think it's very useful and very powerful tool in negotiation uh, and for being persuasive in different ways if you need to be. Um, and, and without being dishonest at the same time. Um, we had them be quiet and look at each other oh, okay. in silence. Now an actor needs to be able to do this and we need to be able to hold focus and engagement on stage and or out with the audience just in the way that you know you and I are doing right now. Um, but people don't do that very much in everyday life, particularly in, in that, that corporate space. They're yeah. very busy and it just had a very profound effect because while I say I struggle sometimes to slow down, to, to turn the dials towards, you know, being quiet rather than disquietude. You know, these guys just obviously hadn't had a quiet moment in months, yeah, years I mean, I... even. And you just, the impact on them, you saw it in their bodies and the 
the this the energetic kind of atmosphere in the room changed immensely mm-hmm. and they went from being kind of non-believers to <laughs> kind of celebrators of the way we work very quickly because the experience they had was profound but you know we had been we had all been in this process of engagement you know um and it had been very animated in lots of ways but if you know then you punctuate that with a moment of being quiet a moment of contained but intense silence and sometimes in front of another person you know something amazing can happen we don't do that very often well especially within that environment i especially within a working environment like that i mean right. I, I can remember if i put myself back to office world yeah i think being in a workshop someone did it, that would have been probably right. awkward is the first word and then profound you know because but people just don't that's right perhaps it. you're having a very animated process around design thinking and there's lots of lively activity and discussion for 45 minutes and the facilitator just yeah and you have three minutes of unadulterated silence you just stop it there what would that do how does that change things i mean it's a it's a simple idea but you know we don't often give that a go um so, you know, it's just what can happen in silence or what can silence do? That was, or what is silence doing in the, in different ways um, in the world? And, uh, you know, that was what I was investigating in, in my PhD. And I managed to get as far as coming up with a, you know, some kind of method. I won't say it was scientifically robust. It was very subjective. It was a lot about my perceptions of silence. But that was also why I, I wanted to tell that story is like, what had I learned about where I had been for almost the last 20 years, you know, or 15 years at least. Um, and what could I, what could I say I'd learned and understood? But, you know, also what are my blind spots and, you know, how multiple are they? So, you know, this whole kind of process then of working across culture um, and with an art form, you know, it, it's just, it's a very rich space mm-hmm. to, you know, look at, you know, how to accumulate data on, you know, what you think data is and, and how, you know, to go about kind of reshaping your ideas and, uh, on the world. Very interesting. What, what else do you want to, what else do you want to share? What else do you want to talk about? I know we, we kind of, you, my main objective was to kind of cover this silence thing, which we... I know you've been asking me about it. Yeah, well, because I find it fascinating. But why? Well, why? What is it that interests you about it? Probably because I can remember that I hadn't been silent ever until now. It's now it was a long time ago. But I think when I first sat down and just had a bit of silence for myself, you know, kind of. And when I mean that, I mean we all obviously are not talking consistently. But there's a difference between, you know, talking consistently and then just stopping and reflecting in silence. Which is somewhat different, I suppose. And my 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 experience of it was much more on a introspective, personal level, and which then led to quite a uh, journey through, you know, kind of meditation to understand my own um, my own personality and what that was and where it where it was being born from and how the behaviours were kind of rooted in certain feelings. So I, I've always been interested in it, although I don't spend enough time, mm. you know, kind of reflecting on it now actually. So. Yeah, I mean, always. Uh, I find it interesting to know 
like what you just you know the, the effect it can have particularly in these in these corporate environments i never got to experience it myself when i was that and it would have been very powerful not just for me but for other people so yeah it's a subject yeah. i've always been somewhat interested in so yeah there's a you know and that of course you you telling me that gave me space to sort of think about you know what's my next thought you know when i'm also listening to you at the same time um and it's you know was interesting because i came out of that corporate event that training space um and as a facilitator and shortly was back home in thailand in chiang mai having not been here for two or three months and you know that had been seeing in the new decade kinds of things had happened in that that time and a lot of change actually in many ways in my own own life towards you know rethinking my my future and what i what i want what i need these kinds of things and as i came back i got a taxi from the airport and i got in the taxi the woman she was wearing a mask you know we that people are coronavirus sensitive here but you know all the same she she heard from the person i reserved the taxi with where i was going she looked at me and just nodded okay i followed her we got in the car we didn't say anything and then probably shortly before we got home i said well you should turn here it's better than going the straight on and going the other way so she did that i gave her i think one more instruction about where to turn stopped i knew how much money to give her i gave it to her she looked at me she nodded kind of barely mask was still on but i could see her enough of her face her eyes but i already knew what was going on you know so she stopped and i got out of the car and left and then she pulled away and she we didn't speak a word together the whole time. And there was absolutely no problem with it. We really didn't need to. Um, so, you know, it just kind of reminded me, you know, about, you know, the economics involved in in, in, in speech, but also in, well, you know, silence as, as a basic foundation. It's like, what if that's where you start? Where do you go? Um, I don't think I I so launched into the world of vocabulary and voice that you know. So I you know, I think there's a balance to be sought. Um, but it was really interesting that I had just taught this had this profound moment in silence and got back he, here and it was uh, uh, this uh, the woman who was the taxi driver who taught me my lesson in hmm. being quiet and reminding me where I am in Thailand. Um, in those first moments of returning home. Um, and so that was also very profound. And I, and so I think probably in terms of doing research and thinking about this as a topic, I, I think it obviously it sensitised me to silence in ways that I wasn't before. Um, and, uh, and that's why I was able to enjoy that moment in the car, to A, to recognise it, and definitely not to feel uncomfortable, but to be in silence pretty much but to know exactly what was going on the entire time mm. cool very good I, I didn't really have any other subjects to necessarily chat about but at the same time is there anything I haven't I mean I say is there anything I haven't asked I haven't asked too many questions I've let you just you know kind of give the content but is there anything 
we haven't talked about you'd like to talk about? Well, I think, you know, if we say that silence is a choice, yeah. right, um, then to a certain degree, you know, obviously there, we talk a lot about silence and oppression, and it's the, it's the taking away or the removal of the capacity to make decisions and choices. Um, but if it's, if it's not, if it is, you know, it is a valid a choice, it's a way that we can choose. What, what does it do for us in terms of how we make decisions and how we, we act? You know, so um, I think, you know, at the moment I, you know, I'm looking around at the world and the things that I think need to change. Um, and part of the reason I feel disquiet and I feel frustrated about being able to address them is I know I'm moving too fast. Mm. You know, I, unless I slow down, you know, unless I cut back on this immense amount of long haul travel I've been doing, and, th and I have lots of issues with that in terms of carbon footprints, but, you know, I'm also doing much shorter journeys than my colleagues would be doing if they were coming from London. And that was, that was built into some of the thinking around me being a, a sort of a regional representative for the, for the organization and the company I work for now. But, um, you know, yeah. How do you, how do you take control? You know, how do you, take that moment with your mind, how do you pull back? Hmm. How easy is it for you to do that? Are you even aware of perhaps how difficult that's become? Why? What happened to you to get there? There's a lot in there. <laughs> so these kinds of questions are massive, but they yeah. are really, really important because silence is a social action. Yeah. as well we said it does things right so that capacity to sort of pull back and to modify and restructure internally that that you know initial moment of containment but that one then to sort of kind of reach out into the space and look around and breathe but be empty for a moment it's really really challenging to attain mm. but i think that you know it's hard to really see the world as real in reality, if we're not at least in some way attempting to do that. I mean, there's so much going on around us. We're so stimulated in so many ways. Yeah, more and more, more, more than ever right now as well. Well, and you know, I don't. People I don't keep saying this is the truth, and I and I think, well, yeah, that's right. The question is, what are we doing about it? Because you know, I think because we we're, we're full all the time with information we're we're overburdened with stimulus you know um and you know it's very easy to to sort of do that you know it's particularly in urban life you know if you're not spending time in the countryside for example it's very very different and it's not that's not just about retirement <laughs> you know slowing down because you're getting old it's about pulling back and getting perspective um you know so how do we find that that kind of balance because we also need to show up right uh i can't be you know i can't be a man that sits on the mountain i you know i can't be a hermit you know i have to i want to be here i want to be involved in what's happening 
but I want to also be able to slow down. I think it's interesting everything you just said. Then I, I think it's no surprise that why mindfulness and meditation in general has just become so massive in kind of Western city corporate life. Mm. You know, like like because everything you just said kind of communicates that. You know, this whole the the, the you know, how do I slow down? How do I? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is about control. Everything you just, I forget all the words you said, but a lot of it is how do I find control? And somewhat of an irony is the fact that by just stopping, you, you kind of, you know, provide a lot more control over, mm. you know, when I say stopping, I mean, just, yeah, just slowing down for an hour at some point in time, then you kind of re-engage mm. that control mentally and, and, and physically probably over situations. But yeah, it's no surprise that this whole mindfulness movement is kind yeah. of what it's become. It's almost like a buzz thing, but it's huge now, right? Well, and I think that, well, and I think that to be perfectly honest, when I, I think it's been, it's been very dressed up and, and packaged and repackaged, mm. uh, you know, for a kind of corporate consumption. It definitely West, And a very kind of Western <laughs> corporate consumption. Um, so, you know, I know, but, I, you know, I think, you know, when you live in a, a country and people will say, oh, Thailand's changed and this place has changed and that place has changed. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm 45. I remember what places were like 25 years ago. The whole world was different 25 years ago. Nobody had a smartphone. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Did I know what the Internet was then? Maybe. Just. You know, so these kinds of things... Um, you know, living in a Buddhist, living in a Buddhist culture, and Thailand still is a Buddhist culture, you know, and while there are things that I, I sometimes find difficult to relate to still, and do, you know, uh, challenge or trigger me, you know, I learned things here that I, I couldn't have learned elsewhere in the same way, you know, um, and, you know, a lot of those do pertain to, to, yes, okay, Buddhist philosophy, but it's it's about how people live that in everyday life, and it kind of rubs off uh, on you. And even though I may not stay here forever, uh, I'll carry it with me wherever I go, because it's 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 been a very important lesson. Um, so yeah, it's just. I think probably the biggest agitation I have now, which I didn't have a year ago when we did the last podcast, is how to show up next in the world. Because as I as I kind of pull back and I reflect and I look at the way things are again, this year, I f at the same time in pulling back, I then feel this urgency to mm. act. And it's like, how do you temper the two together? Silence and action. I, that I think that's the, uh, there's a really good answer to that. That I think it's actually, I think it's actually Robin Sharma or someone like that. That I've read a really good. There's a there's a and I can't even paraphrase. It, I need to go and look it up. But he had he had an answer to that that was all about the balance of those mm. two things because it is a really. Yeah. I mean, I to be honest, I'm hopeless at it. I'd love to. I, I'm or maybe I'm just hard on myself, but I certainly feel hopeless at it because it is the key. It's this this balance of. Especially now, you know, building a startup, like you're really aware of it because you right. know, you, you're, you're constantly thinking of, you know, I need to be active 
to move it forward. So, you know, this this notion of I'm sitting mm. and nothing's happening, you feel like you're an effect on on right. the, the mode. But sometimes you can do things that actually don't necessarily put you forward at all. And So, yeah, it, anyway, to I'm, I'm rambling somewhat, but the, yeah, I think the key to that balance, and I don't think there's a one-fits-all answer, right? It totally comes down to individual situation, but, the, you know, right. action versus non-action and... Yeah, some of these more traditional ways of kind of engaging with ideas about kind of silence, meditation, mindfulness. You know, this is what I think brings us back to the starting point again about what what we were discussing with storytelling and action. It's naturally sewn in there. Mm. So I, you know, I have a practice, a space to investigate the kind of everyday use of silence in all kinds of different ways. Um, you know, and I don't have to be a Buddhist monk to do that. So how that's for anyone who's listening is like, how do you get that awareness of silence into your everyday life? Mm. You don't, you don't need to go and sit on the mountain. In fact, I would beg people not to try and do that. I would say, look at what's happening now and how to engage with it now. And what might that do for all of us? Cool. And on that note, probably kind of brings us near enough to an end is um you know where 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 are you off to next i, I thought I'd... um uh i'm off to bangkok okay to to run a workshop an intercultural communication training for an embassy really <laughs> yep okay um and Inter- so intercultural training for the staff yeah that work within the embassy that's okay. right um <laughs> I was due to run another training for uh, a group of potential corporate clients in uh, Singapore, um, but that you know we've had to pull back on that because of the public health situation. Yeah, and then um, I'm due to be back in Australia for a short time. A lot of maybe too much moving around but I think you know if you know you also I will still I, I need to get out there and, and engage yeah um, so these sorts of things um, I'm hoping to sit down and do some writing uh, because if I can find my the focus so if I can wind down and find the focus to do that that will help deliver some of the stillness I think I'm craving right now cool well we'll um yeah maybe we'll sit down next year i can't believe it's been a year so so fast and um yeah i'm off to bangkok shortly so we'll um yeah i'll may see you there you never know i know we seem to keep walking the same path one way or another (laughs) (laughs) all right good to chat yeah you too thanks very much bye bye i hope you enjoyed today's podcast with matt Uh, Something I realised I didn't do was ask for his contact details at the end to find out more information. So if you would like to know more about the work he does, uh, you can go to Matt's website, which is dryoxall.com. That's www.dryoxall.com. Dryoxall.com. Thanks, and please remember to subscribe if you'd like to hear future podcasts. This is a podcast from Task. Task helps you create and measure impact. For more information, please visit task.io.